Well, it's good to see you all interacting with one another. Uh, we want to dismiss the kids at this moment to uh, Kids Connection. And uh, you all are triply privileged this morning. I bet you didn't know that. But, uh, I want to introduce our first privilege. Asher, you want to come up here? Sure. Uh, Asher preached a message two weeks ago, and he's back with us today. Uh, he's a pastor, uh, one of the pastors out at Henderson Hills Baptist Church, and his connection comes uh, via Jay. Jay was Asher's uh, youth pastor at uh, Grace Bible, so Faith Bible. Yeah, yes, Faith Bible. That's right. So um, he is here, and the second privilege we have is also Brooke, his wife, is here, and uh, we're glad that she was able to make it with him today, and I also found out our third privilege is that they're actually here on their anniversary. So this is our fir one first year anniversary. So congratulations. Thank you for coming. Yep. It's good to be with you all again. Thanks for having me back. I scheduled, um, I picked this weekend and I forgot that it was our anniversary. Uh, so I've been, I've been easing my way into this for about the past month, but uh, it's it's great to bring Brooke back up here. She's heard me say for a long time that Enid is one of my favorite towns in Oklahoma. So I just had to show her all the goodness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, this summer, a new movie is coming out um, 20 years after the original blockbuster. And I think we were all incredibly blessed by one of the greatest movies of all time uh, being given to us about 20 years ago called Independence Day. Independence Day is this amazing story of an alien attack coordinated where they're smarter, faster, stronger than all of us. And when all of chaos started breaking through, everyone knew exactly who to look to. They were to look to the Americans. But not only the Americans, but a former pilot himself, the commander-in-chief, the president of the United States, who gave one of the greatest movie speeches of all time, even though it made no sense whatsoever. And they single-handedly defeated the aliens. About 2,000 years ago, in 60 or 70 AD, uh, Christianity started to spread throughout the kind of East Asia or West Asian world. Except as it started to spread, persecution and attacks started coming on um, those early Christians. And so they were tempted to, unlike in the movie Independence Day, they were tempted to not have a clue of who to, who to turn to when the going got tough. So when people started persecuting and attacking and undermining the church, Christians were tempted to just fend for themselves or just fend for their family, or just hide away in their huts. This is why early Christians, they actually met in caves, or they met in villages that people didn't know about. And so Peter is writing to them, encouraging them that who they ought to turn to is already a group of men in their midst, and that are, those are elders in the church. So as Christ's church is being persecuted or attacked, or not as cool as it used to be, Peter, an apostle directly from Jesus Christ, is telling them to turn towards their elders. You'll remember, as you guys have been going along in the study of 1 Peter, that there is a kind of subtle background of things are not going well for the Christians. 
um, there's this awareness of not only internal suffering that all humans go through, but also there's this kind of external suffering of, of people starting to see that this thing that they gave their life to is actually incredibly difficult to follow through. Um, so, so we, in the same way, love to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And then it becomes really hard. Uh, Brooke works for, um, it's called the Hope Center of Edmond. It's a nonprofit organization that cares for um, basically people who the church is supposed to care for, widows or orphans, um, people who accidentally have children. And so where do they go to when they're impoverished and they need to feed their baby? And one of the things that uh, Brooke has to work around all the time is that Christianity actually isn't, biblical Christianity actually isn't the most popular thing even in her office. Like they, they want to naturally go against what the Bible says you ought to do. You know, like don't sin, don't hurt people, you know, things like that. And so she's even faced with this, not now Brooke isn't being persecuted that I know of, but it is not easy to live in a world when we as Christians are actually the aliens. So Peter is writing to people who are naturally sojourners on a land where pagan worship is normal. You know, Christians are the weird ones, and we always have been. You know, we're the ones who make the decision for, I want to love one person, you know, my spouse, not, not everyone else. I don't want to steal when it would actually be really great to have an amazing bank account full of money that's not mine. I, I want to get away with stuff. According to my flesh, the Bible says don't do, and so we follow the Lord righteously. So these people at this time are being told to turn towards the elders, and so Peter is writing to these elders in such a way as if to say, this is how you should elder. This is what it looks like to, to lead those people who are now going to be looking to you. So I want us to, to gather together and to see into God's word of what it means to have kind of biblical eldership kind of at our peripheral. So if you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open it to 1 Peter 5. I'll be in chapter 5 going through verses 1 through 5, and I'm going to read that um, aloud if you just follow along. So 1 Peter 5, chapter, or 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5. God in his goodness says to us, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So I want to ask you, with that reading of our word from God, who is ultimately in charge of your life? So given the different circumstances that you have, there might be a certain person in your family who God has given you to be the lead over you. In our church, it's the same way. There are people who are installed or recognized to lead a body of followers of Christ. In work, we all have bosses, right? Even the boss has a boss. Or in school, you turn in assignments to someone. Someone tells you it is now recess time or recess is over. So we all have bosses. A Christian ultimately has Jesus Christ as our Lord. 
So more than just a friend, he's actually the one who is reigning and ruling over us. And we react towards that. And in his goodness, as he's reigning and ruling over the universe, he's gifted his bride with a set of leaders. Each of these churches have leaders who are called elders. Now, throughout the New Testament, the, the word is interchanged between elder and even bishop or pastor. So I might accidentally use any of those, but I ultimately mean elder or pastor or overseer or shepherd, all the same thing. But Jesus, as the Lord of all of us, has given us, as followers of him, elders who are tasked with something. They're, they're given a job that is supposed to do something. And I think this morning, hopefully, we'll see what that task is according to Scripture. So who is in charge? And in particular, who's kind of in charge of this church? One thing I want to keep asking, I'll, I'll ask a series of questions this morning that will hopefully be following along in the outline. Uh, I realized yesterday as I was kind of putting the last minute things that the scripture itself is actually way better than my outline. So I'll kind of meander back at different points, and I, I wish I could do the outline again. It would just be like verse 1, point 1, verse 2, point 2. But so if you're following along in the outline, I'm actually at this point on number 2. So I want to ask the question, if Jesus is in charge of us, and he's gifted the church, all of us with elders, what's involved in eldering? What happens? What's supposed to be happening? We look again in 1 Peter 5, it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. So he's speaking out directly, Peter is speaking directly to the elders, and he says to them, a lot of cool words, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The word elder emphasizes a, a maturity in spiritual awareness. It's uh, used differently, like I said, throughout the New Testament, whether it's pastor, or elder, or shepherd. And Peter most always writes the word elder in a plural sense. So when all these letters are written to churches, whether it's Paul or Peter or other writers of the New Testament, when they're writing to the overseers, it's always a plurality. So I think as an outsider, and I have the opportunity to just kind of drop in, throw grenades in a church I'm not a part of, and then slowly whack, walk away. I think it's really good that this church in particular, in recent years, has moved towards a plurality of pastoring, a plurality of eldering. It's very biblical. Um, you know, we, we tend to put up different dynamics in the church that are kind of humanistic, or they make sense to the world, but here we just have a circumstance where Paul or Peter, in our case, is always writing to a plurality of elders. And I think the reason why is, is I can say this not really knowing any of you, you guys and girls are really hard to shepherd, all of you, collectively. If you just hold up your calendar, so if you're a mom and you've got kids, or you're a dad and you've got kids, your weekly calendar is busy. If you line up all of those calendars in this whole church, that's a busy church. That's a lot of life going on that God has given you. And one of the things that is a gift to the church when it has a plurality of elders is that there is a, a larger army who is tasked with shepherding your souls. Um, you know, Brooke and I are, are members, and I'm a pastor at a church of like 8 billion people. And it's just a nightmare when I sit down and try to pray. You know, through, we all try to pray through our membership directory. 
and like you feel like you got a lot of momentum at the beginning of the year and it's like yeah i've been praying all month for these people and you're like eight percent done and i think we thankfully we have many elders and many pastors and many shepherds and you guys are the same i mean the, the comparison of, of this of of uh this service and the service previously that's a lot of people you all are complicated and that's good and and so the church has given a multitude of men to care for you so peter is exhorting and writing to this people but what's involved here ultimately what's involved with someone who elders a church or pastors a church ultimately his job description is being a leader in the midst of suffering so an elder is ultimately a leader in the midst of everyone else's suffering. So if you could think of, just quietly on your own, who are the best Bible teachers you've ever heard in your life? You know, they can be on the radio, they can be a book, they can be a podcast or YouTube or whatever. The best people who, man, when they preach a sermon, it's like, God, I wish, you know, my pastor would preach that. And, and it's fine. I have like 20, you know, that I've got that I wish we all heard all the time. But ultimately, who's going to answer your phone call on your way to the hospital? Who did your wife's funeral? Who is going to care for your kids if you pass away? Those are your elders. Those are your pastors. The Bible is always clear that shepherding or pastoring or eldering is 100% personal. And it's a lifestyle of, of my life actually being given over to yours. Here in the first chapter of 1 Peter, Peter links the suffering of Christ in his own glory. The church needs this type of shepherd leadership to survive in seasons of unrest. You know, when the going gets tough for the church, we need to look to the elders. Because the elders are the ones who are looking after us. They're the ones who are shepherding us. So what's involved in eldering? Suffering amongst the people that God has given those elders. You know, the membership that church has. You know, so if you guys just have a, a list of all your church members, that's not just an arbitrary thing that you can compare with another church. An elder ought to look at that and go, that's my family that was bought by the blood of God. Those are the people that I've been tasked to care for. An elder of the church leads the church as a shepherd leads the sheep. I saw an article the other day, two weeks ago, and I knew that this sermon was coming on. I was like, man, that is perfect. A flock of 1,300, so 1,300 sheep took over a town. So in the middle of the night, all these sheep started invading this town over in Europe. It was breaking things and running amok. So the police were involved to kind of corral and shepherd these sheep. And they finally found the shepherd they finally contacted him, and he fell asleep. So when the shepherd fell asleep, the sheep just took over the town. And in the same way, our, our shepherds, under-shepherds in the church, are the ones that are tending us. They're the ones that are staying awake. They're the ones that when you call them, they answer. And it's a good and godly thing. So what's involved in eldering? A lifestyle of suffering with people. Next question I want to ask is, who is involved in eldering? Verse 2 says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful game, but eagerly. Ultimately, there are two parties involved in shepherding. Two parties involved. First party, obviously, 
the elders. Who's involved in eldering? Elders. Who else is involved in eldering? All of you. If you're a Christian, in this scenario, Scripture says that elders are to shepherd you, to watch over you, to care for you, to ultimately be there for you. So the question with that is, do you let them? I think one of the hardest things I'm seeing as I, as I grow up is to actually ask for help. You know, if my lawnmower breaks, I'm gonna sp- I might take a week of vacation to fix that thing. I'm not going to, like, I'm a man. I'm going to mow my own yard. I might just do a weed eater and do the whole yard myself. In the same way, spiritually, it is incredibly hard to go up to someone and they say, hey, how's it going? And she's like, you know what? It's actually going really terrible, and I really need you to pray for me. Because I can't get these, you know, bad, ungodly thoughts out of my head. Or I'm always acting prideful. Or you know what? I'm really mad at this person. Far too often in the church, uh, someone says, Hey, how's it going? And we're like, it's fine. Ignore the tears. I'm about to fall over. I'm good. And we're like, man, you look terrible. Are you sure? So, friend, let elders elder you. Scripture says that they're supposed to exercise oversight over your life. That is a scary thing. So, Christians, do you let elders exercise oversight? If uh, Here's a random example. If you have a daughter... She's, she's in your house. She's growing up in this church. She falls in love with a man or a, or a boy, her age, sorry. You have a daughter. She falls in love, and the elders of the church say, hey, we know that that guy that your daughter has fallen in love with, he is not a Christian. Please do not let your daughter marry that man. It will not be good for your family and for her soul's sake. Do you look to them as giving oversight in that situation? Do you call out to them to exercise oversight in your life? Far too often we look at elders and we grade them against decisions that they make. Uh, you guys just kind of redid not only this whole room but other areas in the church. Do you look at your elders and go, man, those guys did great at renovating our church? Or do you look at them and say, I'm really thankful that he was really involved in my life. And he wouldn't stand for the things are going great answer. Or, yeah, I'm fine. My kids just moved away from college, and I don't really know how to live with my wife anymore. We have three empty rooms, and I have a broken heart. So, friend, let the elders exercise oversight. Scripture also says that men shouldn't be doing this out of shameful gain. So these elders shouldn't be practicing eldering out of shameful gain. Do you bind these men in a certain way that they are grasping naturally for selfish gain? Do you have unrealistic expectations for elders that make them not actually want to elder? Ultimately, I say all this because the burden of eldering is on the elders. You will have to give an account for your life at the end of days. But on top of that, elders also have to give an account for your life at the end of days. It's clear in 1 Peter and also in James that elders will be judged in part by them but in part by you as well. So invite them in to shepherd and exercise authority over. It is a good thing to be led by godly men. Also, just on an aside, your elders are your elders. So elders of Enid Mennonite Brethren Church are exclusively and only elders of Enid Mennonite Brethren Church. They're not pastors of Enid. 
right? That, that doesn't mean if they write like an article to the Enid paper or if they flip a coin on a Friday night football game, like, oh, man, that guy's eldering out there. That doesn't matter. Like, they're eldering you. So elders also in this church, when you drive throughout town or you raise your family a certain way, are you thinking also of your church in particular and exclusively? So who's involved in eldering? Everyone. Next, how do elders elder? All that to say in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So there are many ways to shepherd a church. And here, Peter gives us, I think, three ways that elders should shepherd you. The first one is to not be lazy. So if you're an elder, pastor in this church, one of your main jobs is to not be lazy. If you are aspiring to be an elder, you want to be an elder, when you grow up or you're already grown up and you still aspire to the office of the elder, you should not be lazy. And by that I mean we shouldn't have to beg you to pastor us. Your, your first, first instinct in the things that God has called you to do is to shepherd the flock. And a lot of that we can help as just regular Christians in the church. I know that, that some people, in, in our case at Henderson Hills, they don't, they don't want to be an elder because there's just a lot of blah that goes on in being an elder. Like, I don't want to always have to go to meetings. Do you always expect your elders to be in constant meetings? You know, you've got elder meetings, personnel meetings, building and land meetings, all this other stuff that deacons are actually given the job to do. So kind of every healthy church in part has great elders, but every healthy church has tremendous deacons that free up so that when elders walk into these doors or walk into your house or go into your hospital room, they know that their job is to speak truth into your life and to pray with you without ceasing. So don't be lazy if you're an elder. Next thing we have is to not be greedy. So elders are not to be lazy and they're not to be greedy or going after shameful gain. False teachers in scripture are always motivated by money. It's a tricky thing because I like nice stuff. You know, when I bought an iPhone, I'm like, man, should people even not see me have this? Like it's an iPhone. Like I don't need it. You know, flip phone's fine. False teachers are always motivated to pastor a church or to shepherd a church based on money. We see this in a negative way on people that hopefully we don't interact with. You know, they, they fly around to different places or they live in extraordinary houses or, or basically it always looks like they're selling you something about the Bible while passing a plate to you. So elders, don't be greedy or motivated by self or shameful gain. Thirdly, how do elders elder? They shouldn't be domineering. In this context, domineering over means to lord over someone or some situation. Uh, I love um, uh, reading about cults. I think it's just fascinating because Oklahoma actually has a ton of cults. Um, you know, the largest population of witches in the world is in Guthrie, witches per capita. Largest population of cults per capita is in Oklahoma. Like, isn't that fascinating? So I want to read it because I, I want to know where they are. Anyway, one of the, one of the cults that I came across um, was, uh, we've all heard the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid. 
that came from a cult in the 70s in the uh, 60s, 70s, and late 80s, following a man named Jim Jones, uh, socialistic, word of faith, prosperity gospel uh, preacher, if you could even call him that. If anything, he was a wolf, and he didn't always wear sheep's clothing, but he was totally and always trying to convince people to do something, and ultimately, it was for him, and it was for his power, and he wanted to have power over people in their lives. I mean, there's a reason why he was always luring men and women into his office to convince them to do something that he wanted them to do. Whereas an elder in your life is wanting to come into your life, ultimately to turn and point you to the great shepherd. A bad elder is someone who is always pointing you to him. A good elder is always someone who is pointing you to who Jesus is. Like, you should be a follower of Jesus, not of a particular elder in his own life so an elder should not be domineering over people and being the big boss and ruling people around with manipulation and intimidation we have a great example of what it means to poorly lead people in ezekiel 34 it says the weak you have not strengthened the sick you have not healed the injured you have not bound up the stray you have not brought back the lost you have not sought and with force and harshness you ruled over them I mean, that kind of leadership is exactly why people leave the faith, right? And instead, elders ought to give grace and strength to the weakened and heal the sick and give um, and corral those who are injured to help them and seek out the strayed and the lost. Some elders become proud and think that they are the boss, forgetting that they are just given a small glimpse from Christ on how he is ultimately the boss over all of us. One of the hardest tasks of, of being a pastor is that I, whatever I tell you, has to digest in me first, right? I can't just get up and say, like, you, you shouldn't steal from someone if I'm out there stealing. John Owen, a great Puritan preacher, says, no man preaches a sermon well to others that he does not preach first to his own heart. You know, the, the task of an elder is to first be indwelled by the Holy Spirit and his teaching so that he just radiates the goodness of God after people. Um, you know, sometimes the simplest preachers and pastors are the best. Where it's like, man, that guy's not a great preacher. And he's kind of weird, but he's a godly, godly dude. And I want to follow that guy to heaven. Like, those are who our elders ought to be. I mean, it's fine if they're not awkward too. But if they are, as long as they just point us to heaven the same way. So how do elders elder? They elder biblically. They shouldn't be motivated by money or power or laziness. And then lastly, why should we be elders? The church that has eldered well ultimately displays the gospel purely. God has saved us to himself from his own death and resurrection so that when we call out to him and aim to receive forgiveness, he grants it to us. And he wasn't with us for a long time. Remember, Jesus was around for like, we think, 33 years, and he ascended into heaven. But he gifted the church continually through the Spirit of God. And the Spirit leads in leadership through elders. So as elders lead the church's people, the elders are pointing the church's people through the power of the Holy Spirit back to Christ in his glory. So we are to be eldered, and we should want to be eldered, because through good eldership, we ultimately see Christ. Because, because elders, if anything, they're like great reflectors. You know, everyone, when they start out in Boy Scouts, I don't know if any of you have done Boy Scouts, but when I started in Boy Scouts, I wanted to learn to tie knots, 
and I wanted to learn to burn things. One of the ways you can burn things is if you have a, either a magnifying glass or like a mirror, you can shine it just directly. Maybe I'll get this little kindling to catch on fire. In the same way, elders are to be great reflectors of the glory of Christ to you. And also, they're to reflect you back to that glory of Christ. So we should want to be eldered. But then lastly, we should want to be eldered because this amazing promise uh, in verse 4, it says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It is not only countercultural in, in our world today, but also in the realm which this scripture was written, that to be humble is actually a good thing. Because when I am humble, I'm not thinking about myself, which is really hard to do. I am really good at thinking about myself. You know, uh, last night, Brooke and I went on our anniversary dinner. On the way to dinner, all I thought about was what I'm going to eat. You know, I cannot wait. To be solely indulged. And it's like, man, this is really about me. I'm thinking about it now. It's like, what is wrong with you? Scripture says, young men and all of you, be wrapped up, be clothed with this desire and personality of humility. Because when we are not thinking of ourselves, we are thinking of others. As all of us, as others, are being guided and shepherded by these elders. And in our humility, as those, as those elders are shepherding us, they're pointing us ultimately to the chief shepherd who is going to come. Like, that's the coolest part of 1 Peter, in my opinion. The chief shepherd, which is a beautiful description of who Christ is, when he comes, you know, it says that he's going to give a crown of glory to these elders. But think about it. When the chief shepherd comes, I talked last time I was here, I can't wait to not be on earth anymore, Right? I cannot wait to be around people who aren't suffering. I can't wait for us to not suffer. I can't wait to, to not live in a world of death and despair any longer. And it will come when the chief shepherd comes. You know, your elders, for the most part, I hope, will elder you well. You know, for the most part, they're going to do what they're supposed to do if they're godly. And every now and then, they're going to mess up. You know, they're going to forget your kid's birthday. They may not make it to every church party. They may forget the day that your spouse died. And they forgot to write you or call you. But that, at the end of the day, their job, and we hope that what we're calling them into, what, what we ask them to do, is to ultimately point us to the great shepherd who is going to come, who forgets none of that, is the good shepherd, as he's called in John, and he's the He's the great shepherd, as Peter talks about him, because he's going to come. He's not going to let us, as sheep, just wander continually. There's a time where we will not be sojourners, where this new heaven and new earth that comes, it's ours. You know, where we're the ones who are ruling and reigning in the world that is new for us and given to us by a redeemed, slain, and risen lamb. So in this life, where it seems like the church is kind of being infiltrated or looked negatively upon, our job is to look at elders. And those elders' job is to look at Christ and look at us and look at Christ and look at us and look at Christ and try to mend that together. Ultimately, the process is where all of us are following and looking towards Jesus Christ as our chief and great shepherd.
Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you just for reminding us of who you are in our lives. We thank you also that you give us shepherds who can lead us and guide us. I pray in, in this case for, for this church that you will empower and gift the elders that you've raised up here, that they'll be bold with your gospel. Also, God, that you'll give us a, a posture of submissiveness to godly leadership. But through that, that we'll, we'll thirst for you and long for you more and more. God, we thank you that you are coming for us and that you have given us enough now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Asher. As we get ready to go today, remember, we all, we all know it is Father's Day. So you got a father, call him, tell him thank you for raising you, giving you food, and uh, whatever else it took to get you here. Um, if you are a father, um, go home and be a good father. Um, we have a big task. It's hard. It's difficult. Um, but it's a special purpose. Um, we, we're the ones that are going to shape the nature of the next generation of men and women. We teach by word, by deed, what is good for a father to do and to say. We model through actions and reactions, gift and service, care and love, how our families uh, and the watching world should, should love. Should love a woman. How do you care for your wife? Your kids are watching that as a father. Or, on the other hand, we, we teach sloth, carelessness, harm, discord, gossip, slander, hatred, passivity, and weakness. Fathers, if this sounds too high a goal, it is. Um, if these faults are all too common, and they are in my life, then we've got to, we've got to ask ourselves, where, where do we turn if I'm not a good father? Well, we have the gospel that tells us that a good father sent his son, perfect son, to die in our stead, to love us, to care for us, to be righteous where we're not, to take our unrighteousness and give us his own. So fathers, although it's a big task and it's difficult, and although the weight of it is, is overwhelming, we have a father who's given us everything we need for life and godliness. We have a father who has given us everything we need to know how to love our wives. And he's given us the spirit inside us to not only tell us what to do, but empower us to do it. And so men, it's a weighty thing to be a dad, but it's a good thing. You've got an opportunity to transform the life of your wife, to transform the life of your children, lives of your children, to let a watching world gaze on what it means to be changed and transformed. So as you go out of here, take the weight of that. Cast it on Jesus, who stood in your place, who was a better father so that you could be a redeemed one. Okay, take the weight of that. Go out of here and keep doing father stuff. Don't, don't rest and, and be served today. Be a father today. Go serve. Go love your kids and go love your wives and express to them what it means to be a good dad. All right? We love you guys, and we'll be praying for you. For those of you who are here who have kids, um, tell your, tell your uh, nursery workers thank you for watching them, and the Kids Connections teachers, thank you. Um, I know I didn't pray for them early, but I'm going to just send us out with that encouragement. Um, honor those who are serving today. Thank you. You may go in peace.